Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Good evening. My name is Dr. Anton Jessen, professor of monster studies here at the university. My assistant Maxwell and I are still working out this whole podcasting thing, using the antiquated technology at our disposal to record, edit, and co-opt a science podcast feed in order to attend to the various monstrous correspondences we have to reply to. Given all of this work and the demands of my own other research projects. I hope you understand we can't possibly do this more than once or maybe twice a year. So let's go ahead and fire up the pneumatic tube, remove the canister, and see what we have here first. Spectacles, please, Maxwell. This one is written in small script. It reads, Dearest Dr. Jessup, I confess that my husband and I are writing to you at our wits' end. Our issue, you see, is our young son, Bob. We've tried everything we can think of to give him a proper environment to nurture his inner darkness, but nothing seems to take. When Bob was a toddler, we lived in a house that we'd been guaranteed had been built on a former burial ground, in which the headstones had been moved, but the rotting bodies had not. We tried in vain to interest Bob in the eerie voices that would manifest in the post-broadcast television static, or the mysterious portal to another dimension that had so obligingly manifested in his bedroom closet. Decaying corpses routinely burst from the swimming pool, and the beast rampaged several times through our living room, but Bob remained blissfully 
oblivious, playing with his blocks or horror of horrors, watching the loathsome Sesame Street. Thinking that we understood the problem, we moved to a house that was next to a proper cemetery, complete with tombstones both in the yard and even one inside the living room. We set up playdates for Bob with a ghostly young lady from the neighborhood and hired the most unsettling babysitter we could find, hoping that their bad influence would help Bob achieve his potential. Alas, even with witnessing multiple random bat attacks by a curiously persistent member of the species and mutilated corpses mysteriously piling up in the cellar, Bob has persisted in his love of wholesome children's television and, I shudder to say, his model train set. Dr. Jessup, are we trying too hard with Bob? Would malign neglect perhaps be a better strategy with our son? In our loftiest dreams, we see him summoning forth Lukuthu or Nigrakothrath, but perhaps we'd settle for him writing a series of best-selling horror novels that culminate in a tome that drives the entire world insane. Whatever are we to do? Yours respectively, Bedeviled Near Boston. Ah, a parenting question. Let's see. Well, first of all, I share your suspicion of Sesame Street, though the Count is a good friend of mine. It really sounds as if you've tried all the right things, providing your spawn with the right environment and the right media, uh, the, the right social environment as well. I wish I could employ the expertise of my colleague, Dr. Freudstein, but uh, alas, he no longer answers my letters. My advice is to maybe lean into the whole train set obsession. There are many wonderfully haunted trains out there, and various monsters are drawn to their strange energies. The late Professor Sir Alexander Saxton wrote some rather excellent works on the Trans-Siberian Railway and ancient beings that wouldn't quite stay dead. Yes, yes, encourage the train obsession. This next one comes to us from Arachne Lakea. Dear Dr. Jessup, Long-time listener, first-time writer, though I think you might actually remember me, I took one of your classes back in the summer of 87, major heat wave, a series of unsolved murders just off campus, Monster Sciences 101. You had us dissecting a class three plasma fiend and the thing rose up just five minutes into the necropsy, raging, bubbling over, It dissolved a TA before we knew what was happening. Everyone else froze, but I knew what to do. I broke the glass panel on the emergency box, whipped out the revolver inside, and dropped the fiend with three rounds. You still gave me a C on the necropsy that semester. Total BS, but I like to think I found my life's purpose that day. Or at least... That's how I used to look at it. Monster slaying sounds sexier than it is. It's not the desperate villagers who come calling. It's the monster makers. I have a few regular clients in the fringe sciences. Zorka, Caligari, Kortner, you know the type. Always pushing the boundaries, but never around to clean up the mess. So they call me. 
It's hard to keep good clients. The monsters generally catch up with them in the end. But a special subset of my clientele don't have to worry about that at all. They're the ones who always get away with it. They have deep pockets, deep powers, and an intense desire to stay out of the limelight. I work a lot on behalf of Her Grace. We're not supposed to use her given name. Her cleaner, Walter, rings me up every couple of months. A slippery guy with serpent eyes behind tiny shades. We always meet up at Noctua, this little bar downtown near the library. He always tries to order me a martini. It's a classic cocktail. You probably just haven't had a good one. They make a good one here. I don't do olives. What? Who doesn't do olives? I know. I'm impossible. So, what does Her Grace need me to handle this time? Another... uh, aberration. Let me guess. One of Father's? Or did she lose her temper again? Miss Lycan, your name alone is an insult here, but the Twelve tolerate you for your talents. Do not mistake Her Grace's silence for mercy. I wouldn't dream of it. Fantastic. Everything you need is in this file, along with half your payment up front and pickup information for the equipment. Now, are you sure I can't tempt you with a martini? We can start with a lemon twist. I'm good. You already know my ancestors. On one side of the family, the former kings of Arcadia, who served human flesh to Zeus and were cursed as the first werewolves. And on the other side, the master weaver Arachne, who dared challenge her grace to a weaving contest, provoked the gods with a tapestry that detailed the crimes of Mount Olympus. The gray-eyed goddess twisted her into a web-spinning arachnid. I'm the convergence of two monstrous lineages, the wolf and the spider, and I wouldn't exist at all if not for modern science, the resurrection of ancient DNA. The biotech company responsible, Biogameth, didn't last long. When the Twelve discovered the operation, they sent in their most horrifying enforcers, the Hecatonchores, the Hundred-Handed Warriors. Though calling those horrendous appendages hands is generous. They're the gods' monstrous bioweapons meant to wage war against immortal foes. So they made short work of the scientists in their labs. But they spared the engineered children of Biogameth. Why throw away a useful tool? The twelve let us grow up in the world. They found parents to raise us. My mom didn't know my true nature. I look like everyone else, really. And I just looked like another infant in need of love. When she saw the words Arachne Lycaean scribbled on my documents, she kept it as my first and middle name. I took the folder and left. Better not to hang around too long in her grace's house anyway. I took the folder to Butler's Coffee just off 72nd, the one where they hammer your laptop if you try to set one up. No computers. No headphones. 
Just books and below average coffee. I spread the file's contents out in front of me. Despite Walter's insistence, I'd still half expected the same old god trauma. Due to some code of theirs, the Twelve never killed directly and saved their own monstrous Avengers for more serious threats. Instead, they spitefully twisted the mortals who spurned or insulted them as they'd done for millennia. It then fell to me and people like me to slay their creations if they proved an inconvenience. That's the Twelve for you. Far be it for me to understand the gods. The file, however, detailed something unexpected. My quarry was another child of the Biogameth project, engineered and cloned out of resurrected lineages of ancient, god-touched DNA. The document listed her classification in tight black script. Arachne Lacaean. That was my classification as well, the very words that became my mortal name. The monster they tasked me with slaying was the very least, my mad science sibling, if not my double. The document gave her an individual name, Ekru. That was it. No other form of identification. Under the dangerous or objectionable behavior section, the profile mentioned interference with Olympian operations, which was thoroughly vague and almost as an afterthought mortal murders. The documents recommended beheading as the preferred mode of slaying, which I suppose would be the preferred way of killing me as well, and listed an address and time for ideal interception of quarry. The gods are precise. They know where you are, and, with a margin of something like a city block, where exactly you'll be. All they have to do is point you in the right direction. An appointment card in the folder included the name of a nearby flower shop and an order number. An hour later, I pulled a double-edged short sword from a box of carnations. To say it was exceptional craftsmanship would be an understatement. Hephaestus himself had forged it in another world. I brought a fingertip within an inch of the cutting edge to test it, and the flesh began to smoke ever so slightly. It would do the trick. The documents told me where to go and when to do it. Such is the exactitude of the gods, and such is their view of mortal tools like me. In their minds, I'd merely been placed on a track, little more than a machine. But I followed the instructions all the same. The old warehouse towered over the surrounding neighborhood. None of the children and old people looked in its direction, though they stared at me with increasing suspicion as I walked past them. And then the living neighborhood simply ended. The buildings most adjacent to the warehouse were abandoned and boarded up, as if some event horizon were crossed and venturing so deeply into the warehouse's shadow. I went to the predetermined doors and found them chained and locked with enough steel to shackle an elephant, but even this was no match for my favorite trick. My lineage is strange, you see. 
I pulled off my left glove and moved my awareness to my uncovered hand. I focused on my index finger and thumb. I watched them elongate and arch into a pair of lupine claws. I winced at the sudden pain of lengthening bone. My nails sharpened into wicked claws. I pinched the claw tips together, then pulled them apart to spin a single thread of webbing that gleamed like silver even in the deepest shadow. I looped the thread around the massive padlock and, with a quick turn of my wrist, closed the loop and severed the steel. My strange legacy of wolf and spider. I ventured into the darkness of the warehouse, at first encountering only the detritus of abandoned industry dilapidated machines of unknown purpose and hints of the human workforce that once animated it all. But as I ventured deeper into the space, other signs presented themselves. I passed fresh wooden crates, newly opened, and around them cast-off plastic and styrofoam padding. Some new industry, it would seem, pulsated in the decaying husk of the old. And soon enough... I encountered signs of my quarry as well. I descended a long hallway crisscrossed with lines of silver webbing much like my own, and scattered beneath them the remains of the dismembered bodies. My lab-grown cousin could use her threads as weapons, it seemed. Monofilament lines that, when pulled taut, sliced through anyone in their path. I knelt beside one of the bodies. It was naked, humanoid in basic shape, but more arthropod in every other respect. Rows of tiny, useless appendages lined its chest. I knew them well. These were human-louse hybrids, the accidental offspring of Biogamma's ancient DNA experiments. See, ectoparasitic lice sheaths on the hair of otherwise mummified bodies can preserve host DNA, making retrieval at least seem possible. The science wasn't there yet, though, and the cross-contamination of human and lice genetics birthed monsters. They often infested abandoned biogameth facilities. But I know what you're wondering. Didn't the Hecatonkeries destroy all the biogameth labs? I wondered the same. I jumped at the sound and glimpsed her, Ekru, shoot across the end of the hallway, a figure wrapped in a tattered trench coat. I drew the divine sword. The threads of razor-sharp webbing burned away as I brought the blade near. I easily sheared away the strands she'd used to slay the hybrids, as well as the more subtle ankle-level lines she'd left to stop me. And so I followed her, unobstructed, into another vast factory space. Why do you hunt me, cousin? That's above my pay grade. We should talk. Then come out. Let's talk. Not here. Something rushed me and I ran it through with my blade, but it was only her empty trench coat. I saw her vanish behind a hulking industrial press, and so I dashed after her, sword at ready. I narrowly managed to dodge and sever the threads of razor webbing she'd left in her wake. 
I chased her down another hallway through another chamber with signs of recent habitation. Here I passed not only fresh crates, but various tanks and machines that unmistakably bore the logo of the Biogameth Corporation, the hand extending from a fiery double helix. It was exactly the distraction she'd counted on. She'd flanked me amid the lab equipment, and I felt loose webbing spin around me. I pulled the sword up just in time to sever it and keep her from pulling it taut around me and through me. I brought the sword back with the decapitation swing, but she was too fast. She recoiled from the sword's lethal arc with maybe an inch to spare. I saw her in full for the first time, illuminated in the green glow of assorted biogameth equipment. While I could call on Wolf and Spider and do my one little trick, she had embraced our lineage completely. She was unclothed of human garments, but resplendent in her full monstrosity. The animals we call spiders are just a shadow cast by the form of God-cursed Arachne. So too the twisted airs of Arcadia and the comparison of the wolf. Human language fails in the face of a perfect monster. There was a lupine wildness to her hair, which cascaded in a flowing mane down her spine and tail. Her hands tapered into claws as long as my forearms, and I saw the gleam of silver threads suspended between the tips. Her eyes were deep, dark pools, the eyes of a hunting spider, like mine beneath the special lenses I wear. And in that moment, Ekru was my reflection not of who I was, but of what I could be, if I only gave in to the power. She smiled her sharp teeth at me. You You should stand stand with us in this fight. What if I stand with the mortals you killed? They choose to serve the tyrants, as have you. Won't you see what we've grown here, though? I don't care about Biogameth or whatever titan they think they've resurrected this time. Not a titan, cousin. I think we sprang at the same time. If, deep down, we were the same, then I suppose our instincts and impulses were identical. Though not our weapons. I slashed my sword and felt one of her razor webs spun so deftly in the air, sliced clean through my shoulder. My left arm fell to the floor in a cascade of blood, though not all of it was mine. My monstrous double, my more perfect twin, lay to either side of me, cleaved neatly in two by the Hephaestian sword. I let the weapon fall from my remaining hand. Our collective blood hissed and smoked against its otherworldly steel. I struggled to stay on one knee to avoid collapsing from the sudden catastrophic blood loss. But I am not quite human. I have never been. And so I felt the wound rapidly clotting, the severed veins and arteries stitching themselves closed. I used my teeth to pull the glove off my remaining hand and let my claws grow out felt my fangs grow sharp. I'd completed my assignment, but she was right. I needed to know. 
How had Biogamma survived? What were they attempting to resurrect from ancient artifacts and desiccated flesh, if not one of the titans of old, the parents and forerunners of the current, long-declined dynasty of gods? Still faint, still barely able to push ahead, I shambled deeper into that temple of abandoned industry, into the otherworldly fuchsia glow of multiple grow tanks. I saw the suspended flesh inside, if flesh it truly was. This was no titan or god, no genetic mixture of their offspring. It was something infinitely more horrifying and more perfect still. Curtains of shredded silk obscured the great central vat. As I stumbled toward it, I glimpsed wild shapes moving within the glowing fluid. I fell to my knees. I raised my clawed hand to draw back the veil. Anyway, just thought you'd be interested to hear about all that. Love the show. Say hi to Maxwell for me. Arachne Lacan. Aha, very nice. I always crave the discovery of new monsters, though, alas... I don't remember you specifically. Too many future monster hunters to keep track of, honestly. Finally, here's one more. It reads, Dear Dr. Jessup, who would win in a battle between the Blob and my friend Reginald? Full disclosure, Reginald is a vampire. Hmm, I have to go with the Blob on this one. Sorry, Reginald. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Maxwell, if you would... In transmission. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting. Uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. 
It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Hey, everybody. Regular listener mail will return next week. But thanks, as always, to Dr. Anton Jessup for filling in for Joe and me this week. This episode was produced entirely by the excellent J.J. Posway. Annie Reese, co-host of Savor and Stuff Mom Never Told You, contributed her voice acting talents to portray all arachne lycaeans. And if you or someone you know happens to have a question or two or some comments to share with Dr. Anton Jessup concerning monsters, you can email them to us and we will forward them to him and his cohort. Uh, He'll probably be back for a holiday episode before he retreats into his studies for yet another year. So just send those emails to contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.